Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Friday, April 8th, 2016. All right, made a final decision here. We only have one more contestant in our Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest, and uh, there were quite a few uh, requests for this one to make it into our contest. But I do have an honorable mention that we will get to before we get to our final contestant today. I am pretty sure that I'm going to need to see a psychologist after reviewing all these sermons. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I'm your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We actually take the time to open up our Bible. Mm-hmm kind of an important thing to do. Open up our Bible and compare with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed, yeah, they're not appointed by Christ, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes and those put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose small group curriculum we need to be, uh, well, studying instead of the Word of God to see if what they're saying actually squares with what God's Word says, or if to find out if they're actually teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to teach. That's what we do here at Fighting for the Faith. And of course, we try to have a little bit of fun along the way. I mean, what's the point of doing this kind of stuff if we can't at least have a good chuckle or two? Um, all right, so let's talk about what we're going to do here. I have made the decision. <laughs> Eight is enough. Yeah, pun intended. Some of you will get that. Others of you will have to Google it. Anyway, um, yeah, eight is enough. I I can't do any more. We've we have had we've been inundated, swamped. I have absolutely gone through and previewed every one of the submissions for this year's worst Easter sermon of the year contest, and uh, got to tell you, you know, it, it was by far not even close. By far the most entries we've ever received. And a lot of them were real stinkers. Many of them fell into kind of predictable categories, if you would. And, uh, and you know, we stro- strove to have a mix of, you know, listener submissions as well as a couple. I really only put forward a couple of my own. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, I, and every year, I got to say this, every single year I have a particular favorite and uh, I don't think yet that the one that I really had, a, you know, that I thought should be the one that won, I don't think it's ever won. And so, that, which is kind of bizarre, but um, it's, but that's, you know, kind of neither here nor there. But uh, this year, I 
I really don't have a clear one where I'm saying that's the one that should really win. I tried really hard to get like a broad sampling of different types of so-called Easter sermons. And uh, and so what we're going to do today, we're going to listen to a portion of a runner-up. He didn't actually make it into the contest. I think if he pushes just a little harder next year, he will. But uh, the person we're going to be listening to is a gentleman by the name of Jason Blair. Jason Blair, and uh, he's, uh, he's well, one of the teaching guys over at New Life Bible Fellowship, uh, Fellowship Church out in Ole, uh, Pennsylvania, Ole, Pennsylvania. And uh, we're going to listen to him really mix, in a very weird way, kind of an allegorical reading of the uh, resurrection account with some stuff that sounds like it would be okay if he wasn't mixing it with the other stuff you know kind of a you know this was a weird hybrid and it stuck out in my mind a listener submission here that it was so odd you know usually you kind of go one way or the other and this guy Jason Blair he found a way to mix allegory allegory and orthodoxy together you know so I, I'm beginning to think he's created a new category, which is why he gets a special mention today. I, I think it's allegora, uh, allegora orthodoxy, allegoradoxy. Yeah, that's a, it's allegoradoxy is what this guy is engaging in. It's just so bizarre that I had to bring it to your attention. And then when we're done with that, what we'll do is we'll take a break. When we come back from the break, we will embark on our final contestant, for this year's worst Easter sermon of the year contest, and that contestant, with many people sending me emails begging for this guy to be in this year's contest, and uh, listening again to the wishes of the audience of Fighting for the Faith, the final contestant is Stephen Furtick, and his Easter sermon titled "A Tomb with a View." Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> It, it, apparently, the uh, the resurrection has something to do with helping us change our perspectives, and I mean, I, I mean, I guess that's kind of right. I mean, sure, it does, but not in the way that uh, Stephen Furtick, you know, engages here. So that will be our final contestant. Eight is enough, and eight is the like the most that we've ever had in one, you know, in one year's uh, contest. And uh, when we're done, when the, the program is posted with the podcast, we will put a, a voting mechanism on our website so that you can choose your favorite for this year's Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest. So without any further ado, let's get to this um, allegoradoxy, you know, weird thing that I it just really stuck out of all the listener submissions. This one just made me scratch my head and go, huh? And as a result of it, we're going to need to intro it and i'm going to use our uh, perry noble music to do so so let's get along here we go oh it really doesn't matter what i do what i do as long as i do it with a flare what effect a little smoke is with a dash of hocus pocus and the scent of burning sulfur in the air i'm a fraud a hoax a charlatan a joke but they love me Everywhere. Everywhere For it 
really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flower. Yeah, that's right. doesn't matter what I say or what I do. So we're going to be listening to Jason Blair. And uh, like I said, he's one of the teaching guys over at New Life Bible Fellowship Church in Ole, Pennsylvania. And um, this is what I have dubbed allegoradoxy. Uh, it's orthodoxy and allegory mixed together. Generally, like I've pointed out, you either go one way or the other. This guy has found a way to mix the two together. And as a result of it, he gets an honorable mention uh, this week on Fighting for the Faith. Here we go. The truth is, the facts are, not just the Bible, but we know in history, the truth is that he died like any condemned criminal. Yes. Humiliated. Yes. On a Roman cross. He was crucified. This is true. Crucified, actually, in the company of thieves. He was buried without proper preparation. That's what the ladies are going to do because the religious holiday was fast approaching when he passed away. Yes. May I suggest to you that maybe, just maybe, I, I know the Bible says that Jesus, you know, he didn't rot. I think that's, uh, it's in the, um, you know, it's more poetic, but, but let, me just, let me just imagine. Yeah, he did not see decay is how the Bible put it, yes. Um, maybe Jesus' rotting flesh would, would become a stench or would start to decompose in his human body in an otherwise, what, what we know is an unknown tomb. We don't, we don't know exactly where that was, sealed off forever by a very large stone. Not sure what he's talking about here. You know, the what if thing is making you go, what is he doing? So, all right. So, he, you know, his body is, yeah, by a very large stone. He covered it up. Right. Okay. Essentially, I mean, what does that mean? Well, essentially, it dashed the dreams of his followers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, those dashed dreams. That's just terrible, awful stuff here. The people who needed liberation and peace so badly. What's the application? Well, I'm just going to ask you, how many of our dreams and our hopes and, and longings are interrupted by, at the very least, pernicious stones in our path? Yeah, you'll notice that this is the allegory part here. So now we're going to take the stone that was rolled in front of Jesus' tomb. We're going to allegorize it. And how many of your dreams have come to a grinding halt because of pernicious stones in your life? So this is the allegory part. Yeah. Uh -huh. I mean, for some, right, for some, the stones, maybe little stones, can be a sickness or, or a disappointment or a betrayal. Yeah, th those disappointment stones, yeah. They're almost worse than kidney stones, you know. Uh, they can be the little stones, you know, just like the one you hold in your hand or that you were given when you came into worship this morning. Mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, the <laughs> so the people who showed up at New Life Bible Fellowship Church, they were all given a rock upon entering into the sanctuary for their Easter service you know, to symbolize the stones that are killing their dreams. They, they slow our progress or they frustrate your way. Yeah. Like this sermon is. This sermon's a pretty big stone. It's really frustrating my way. Now, some rocks can be more detrimental and devastating, like the loss of a loved one, like, like infertility, like abuse, like abandonment, like injustice. Yeah, that infertility stone, yeah, a lot bigger than most stones, you know. Those are the rocks that can seriously discourage or confuse you. 
Okay. And some encounter the stones, and others encounter rocks. Right. There's a big difference between a rock and a stone. But you got to get this. Yeah. But for all, the big boulder that stops you in your tracks. Yeah. Friends, that's sin. Okay. So the big, the big one the, that's keeping you from your dreams is sin. And this is where he starts to now steer into something that sounds a lot more orthodox. And everyone's been, uh, been you know, contracted the disease of sin. And that's true. But it has nothing to do with the stone in front of Jesus' tomb. It's like a big boulder. It's like a large stone which, which blocks your way from reconciling with the creator who loves you. The big boulder is, is, is sin. And it's the very thing that caused God in heaven to send his son, Jesus Christ, to become a sacrifice. Essentially a payment. God sent his one and only son to become a payment for the sins of the world. Yours and my sins. And that's true. Again, this is so weird to me. I mean, this, <laughs> allegorodoxy. Yeah, allegoria orthodoxy. Something like that. Yeah, it's... Although her sin isn't really a stone in the way he's talking, you know, allegorically, metaphorically here. But what he did say about sin was right. And it's... What is he doing? Why is he mixing these two things? And what's that look like? What's well, the way we think, right? It's the way we live, ways in which hurt people and disappoint God. And we're all guilty. Yeah. It's the reason that the son of God was put on a cross. Uh, yeah, that's actually true. Hebrews chapter two, verse 17. For this reason, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful High priest in the service to God. That he might do what? That he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Yes. Again, that's sound doctrine. But it doesn't have anything to do with stones, you know. You see, I can't atone for my sins. I can't fix your sins. We don't have it in us. It's like saying to someone who gets cancer, well, well, just will it out of you. Just fix it. Just dig down deep and get rid of it. That would be very, very discouraging. We need a power outside of ourselves. Yes, that's true. Well, if it's just disease and physical ailments, then, then why would you not think that for spiritual disease, you can handle it yourself? And what does the large rock of sin do? At the very least, sin... <laughs> Allegorodoxy. It's just the weirdest mixing. Sin detour, detours your quest to do something significant with your life. That's at the very least. Yeah, that's sin. It's just keeping you from doing something significant. How did all the other sinners who were impenitent, not even believers in Jesus, do significant things in life? I don't understand how they rolled away their sin stone. But at its worst, sin cuts you off from connecting with God. It keeps you from recognizing the mercy of God through Jesus. You see, it yeah, that's actually true. Ruins your life. <laughs> the sermon's ruining me because you're mixing things that ought not to be mixed. And ultimately, it sends you to hell, unreconciled to God, Creator. Again, true. <laughs> 
This is so bizarre. Sin is a big rock. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wish these guys would just read the text straight. Historical narratives are not parables that are about your life. <sighs> the big rock blocking your heart, um, crushing your soul, keeping you from God and ruining your life. In other words, keeping you from, from becoming the person that you are meant to be. Be all that you can be because we need you in the army. This is weird. From enjoying all that God has to offer you. Am I speaking anyone's language here this morning? I mean, the truth is, even if you're not able to articulate it, right? Even if you're not able to articulate it, you feel the brokenness and the incompleteness in your bones. Even if your life is good, still you feel unsatisfied, discontent, and you wonder to yourself, I have this and I have that. I've enjoyed today. I have a good family. And why? Why is my heart not settled? Because you were born dead in trespasses and sins. How's that? Unsatisfied, discontent. You can't, no one can go through a day in life that, the, that you don't focus on yourself. Right, that's the result of our sin. That's the boulder of sin, friends. No, it's not. Sin is not represented by the boulder. And because these stones are so prevalent, uh, you know, sometimes people are okay with the burden, right? They, they begin to accept them or, or pretend that they're not there, and so we give up on our pursuit of a more satisfying life, and that's a shame. Yeah, how dare you give up on a pursuit of a more satisfying life? Apparently, Christianity has that to offer to you. We resign. And it's in this life, not in the life to come. We ourselves saying things like, Mom, that's just the way it is. It is what it is. We simply give up on God or, or maybe we ignore the internal realities of heaven and hell. But I believe that all of us, all of us here today, once more, I believe that we all desire a better, richer life experience really christianity is going to give you a richer life experience how about eternal life we long for fulfillment and peace we want to connect with god sometimes i think that's why atheists are so they're so fired up do you ever notice that like vitriol man they get they get fired up and i say wow where does that emotion where does that passion come from if you don't care then why does it bother you well, Scripture says they're at war with God. That explains what's going on there. I can't judge their hearts. I don't know what's going on. But I don't know. Scripture says the fool says in his heart there is no God. I think we can know what's going on there. But I wonder if it's that every human being longs for, for heart satisfaction, for life fulfillment, and maybe even we long to connect with God, even if we don't know what he is or what he looks like or, or think that he doesn't exist. Yet the problem remains, right? There are rocks in our path, right? A big, big rock blocking our way to the only salvation in the world. And so, still longing, we cry out, who will remove the stones from my life? (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) So... (laughs) 
have you cried out who's going to remove the stones from your life yet? I mean, we're apparently coming to like some kind of a weird crescendo here in this bizarre allegorizing of the elements of the resurrection account of Christ. I'm here to tell you that you're not alone. Many years ago, um, a group of women wondered the exact same thing, right? When the Sabbath was passed... Yeah, that's right. You're in solidarity with the women who went to the tomb that day. Yeah. They were wondering the same thing. Who's going to roll the stones away from their life? Yeah. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus. And, and, and very early in the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And then the next verse says, and you can almost imagine this, they're going, they're carrying their bags, or they're carrying their stuff, and, and may, maybe, they're, maybe they're crying and they're trying to consult one another, or maybe they're just doing what, what, they, what they think is best, and, and I doubt that they were excited, but maybe looking forward to just honor uh, the one that they loved, and, 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 and they go along, and then it says in verse 3, and then they were saying to one another, wait a minute, as they're walking, like, like, oh, this is terrible. And this, and they say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who's going to remove the stone? Who's going to move the stone? Who will remove the stone from the grave? You see, may I suggest to you that when Jesus died, they thought that that was it. As I read the story, they thought that that was it. And, and I think they, they, they resigned themselves to the inevitabilities of life without God. I think they, the, the disciples very quickly after Jesus passed away just, just were like, oh man, all right, let's start over. That, we try that. And when they had failed to trust God and when they focused on their own lives, they, they ran straight into a boulder. So that apparently that's what happens. I mean, if you're being selfish and just kind of focusing in on your own life, you run the risk of running straight into a boulder. Yeah, that that would be a terrible outcome. Who will roll away the stone for us? They said they cried out. And may I suggest to you in that moment, they, they, they recognized their insufficiencies. They recognized their need. They knew it was God who had once touched their lives. So they recognized their need for what when they saw the stone? I mean, it was already rolled away. And they longed for that to happen again. You see, for them, since uh, their Savior Jesus had been killed on a cross, he was laid in a tomb. Yes. They thought that the only way that they could con connect with God was to do their duty. Yeah, which text says that? I don't recall reading that in any of the four Gospels. To honor him with a proper burial. That's what they were doing. But their connection was blocked by a huge stone. Why is that significant? Well, no, actually it wasn't. You see, by the time they got there, the stone had been rolled away. Christ had already risen from the grave. This huge stone cut them off from the power of God. You see, in their own strength, they could not get to their Savior. In their own strength, friends, they could not even do their duty. <laughs> right. Yeah, because it's totally impossible for a human being to, you know, roll away a stone that a human being had rolled into place. Yeah, they, 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 it's way beyond their human ability there. But the stone had already been rolled away. And so it is with us. No, no, this is not a parable about our lives. 
The second thought is this. But God moves rocks? That's not the big deal, actually. Okay. And God raises life. Or he redeems lives. I know I'm, stuck. I'm talking to real people here today. This isn't religion. This isn't just another fun Easter story. I'm talking to human beings who come into this building with real burdens. With a real sense of loss. Yeah, with real sin. With hopes and dreams dashed. <sighs> yeah, you know, they went on American Idol and they got rejected in the first week. Yeah, their hopes, their, their dreams were dashed. With, with folks who may be sitting here dealing with serious problems in infertility and cancer that no one can fix. I'm reminded that I'm speaking to regular people like you and me. And God only, not only moves rocks, friends, but remember that God raises life. Right. He not only moves rocks, he raises life. And yeah, actually he does. That's kind of the weird thing. That's why Easter is so important. Here's well, how it works. Okay. Since the creator God could not be associated with any sin, right? That is anything that's imperfect because he is perfect. God gave us the chance after chance after chance to stop wandering away from the truth. From what is good. But like our forefathers, right? We fail time and time again. The, the Bible says in Isaiah 53, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We've wandered off. Yeah, that, that part's true. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him, that's Jesus, the sins of us all. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know we're steering back into orthodoxy now. And so in his mercy... God the Father sent His one and only Son, Jesus, to be the payment for sin, to reconcile our debt to the Father for all who would believe. Yeah, that part is absolutely true. It's like this. The perfect one, the perfect, died so that the imperfect could live. Yes, that is absolutely true. <laughs> Is it me or is this just schizophrenic kind of preaching? I, I, yeah, alle, allegorodoxy, you know, um, where you parabolize the account of Jesus' resurrection while mixing it with actual true doctrine pertaining to his atonement. I, I think we've made the point. I, and that's the reason why he got a, an honorable mention in this year's, um, you know, running, if you would. He's not a contestant. You know, with a little bit of work. I mean, if he decides to kind of go like full allegory next year without mixing it with sound doctrine at all, yeah, he might have a good fighting chance of being in next year's uh, Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest. I think you get the point. All right, we're up on our uh, one and only break for this episode. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, contestant number eight, the final contestant for this year's Worst Easter Sermon contest. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> no, oh, no, oh. 
Canada presents Church Day Select. Hey guys, it's Rex here again. Now I know that all of you have been hearing about the latest bad in the church called an Emmaus walk. Well, you know what I think? It's uber lame. I mean, what's so special about going on a little walk, hoping and praying that Jesus is going to show up and have an enlightenment picnic with you? It's not nearly hardcore enough. I'm starting a new fad. It's called the Road to Damascus Walk. You don't go out trying to find Jesus. He finds you. And after he's found you, he knocks you off your horse, throws you in the mud, blinds you, and then sends you on a harrowing journey to a town that you've never been to in order to find a prophet of God. It's way more awesome than an ant-infested picnic next to a scum-filled pond. Don't believe me? Well, then give it a shot. I dare you. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to understand that the historical narratives are not parables about your life. They are written to actually point us to Christ, not you. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring 
Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. You can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute, well, an amount that you choose. That's right. You pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. Master Gunner, $49.95 a month. And Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us, by the way. Of course, if you would like to specify an amount that you would like to contribute to partner with us, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota. Zip code 58208. And let me thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, here is our eighth and final contestant for this year's Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest. And i got to tell you, I am so excited to finally be done listening to all these bad Easter sermons. Oh, man. Thinking next year I'm going to have to hire somebody to help me help spread the misery around. Anyway, so uh, to, to, to kick off the final sermon for our worst Easter sermon of the year contest that requires us to do this you walked up to the pulpit like you were a man Strategically cut to the new style. The beaver was fake and hot. You had one eye on the camera as you watched the crowd applaud. All of the pastors dreamed you'd be their mentor. You'd be their mentor, and you're so probably think the Bible's about you. You're so vain. I'll bet you think the Bible's about you. Don't you? Don't you? Heard the real gospel and you're so vain. You'll probably think the Bible's about you. You're so vain. I bet you think the Bible's about you. Don't you? Don't you? All right. Contestant number eight, Stephen Furtick, Elevation Church, Charlotte, North Carolina. His sermon from Easter titled, A Tomb with a View. Can I begin to tell you how many requests I had for this one? There was quite a few people in the audience of Fighting for the Faith who noted this one was worthy of the contest. Let me go ahead and back off on the music. So uh, let me put it to you this way. Apparently, 
the resurrection of Jesus has something to do with changing perspective. Yeah, I, I know. You're sitting there going, what? Yeah, I don't know how else to describe it. Just hang in there. This is Stephen Furtick we're talking about, the king of the Narsegetes. So here's his uh, submission for your consideration. The final contestant, number eight. And eight is enough. Here on our Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest, here we go. I'd like to read to you from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. This is probably your first Easter experience of 2016, but our teams have been working incredibly hard. We will be hosting 47 total worship experiences live over the course of these three days. Let's give it up for our teams. What is a worship experience? What is that? And I've preached this message a couple times already, but I'm expecting it to be just in an entirely different category of powerful here with you today. Yeah, but if it's it starts off heretical, it, there's no way for it to steer into orthodoxy. Yeah, just saying. I think you're the best crowd yet. I, I can just feel your spiritual maturity. If they were spiritually mature, they would not be at Elevation Church. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. I actually have uh, two scriptures to read to you from Easter. This is the first one. Uh, Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. Now let me pause right here. How many are thankful for God's mercy in your life? Yeah, I, I am truly thankful for God's mercy. No doubt about that. How many probably wouldn't be here if it were not for God's mercy in your life? In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Touch your neighbor and say, he's keeping me. God is keeping me. He's protecting me. There were all kinds of things that should have taken me out by now. But it was God's grace that protected me and held me in the hollow of his hand. There were things that should have taken me out by now. Okay. That's a weird way of reading that text. In all this, verse 6, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, even though refined, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving this is why we're happy for you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your soul now great text by the way i mean 
Wow, it's tough to mess this one up. Concerning their salvation, y'all calm down, I gotta read my scripture. Concerning their salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to Google the time and circumstances which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing to when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels, listen how great your salvation is, even angels long to look into these things. Now, if Furtick were to actually exegete this text, I mean, he's read it. If he were to actually go back now and walk through it and exegete it properly, he would knock it out of the park. I mean, that is an amazing Easter text. It's a good one, too. Now I want to read another scripture. This one's much shorter. Don't worry. You're going to get to sit down in a minute. Now, after you sit down, if you want to, you can stand back up when I start preaching. You know, if I start saying something that gets you excited, you can jump up. You can do it. 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 John chapter 20. And let me just pick this one verse. Verse 8. It says, finally... The other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. He, he saw and believed. I want to preach mm-hmm. okay. to you this Easter Sunday from the subject, a tomb with a view. I want to take you on a... You started off with so much potential for a really Christ-centered, cross-focused, what Jesus has done for us Easter sermon. Now I'm having supreme doubts that you're going to be able to land this plane. On a journey, and I want to take you to a tomb with a view. God, open our eyes and our hearts to behold what your spirit is saying and what your hand is doing in our lives today. We want to see it. We want to see Jesus. Reveal him now by your spirit. In his name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. Touch your neighbor on your way to your seat and say, don't miss it. Don't miss it. That that kind of stuff just drives me nuts. Touch your neighbor and say this or turn and cough. You know, it, it all seems like the same thing to me. You know, we continue. The reason I put two different texts in front of you today is because They're both describing the resurrection of Jesus, but they're describing it from different perspectives. You've got Peter, who is writing to the persecuted church in modern-day Turkey. He's trying to get them through a perilous time, and he speaks about the resurrection. You've got John talking about when he and Peter first went to the tomb and discovered that Jesus wasn't there. So... John is giving us a reflection on the resurrection. And Peter, well, he's not talking about the event of the resurrection. He's talking about the experience. So we've got John. The, huh? The, the experience? <laughs> Where are you getting that from? Blessed be the God and Father. First Peter 1, uh, starting verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, 
He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through the through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though for a, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with uh, joy that is inexpressible and filled with uh, glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied, yeah, I'm not seeing Peter talking about the experience. What are you talking about? I'm going back in time to reflect on the event when they first saw it. And we've got Peter who's looking back some 20 years before he wrote that letter. And he's telling us about the the results of the resurrection. Maybe that would be a way to say it. Okay. Yeah. I'm with you there because the resurrection is meant to produce results in your life. Um, yeah. The salvation of my soul. That's what Peter said. Not just a warm feeling or vague hope, but real results in your life. Yeah, the again, the result mentioned in 1 Peter 1, the salvation of our souls, eternal life. Real results, noticeable results because while John is pointing us back to the event of the resurrection, Peter is talking to us about the ongoing experience of the resurrection. No. They're talking about the same resurrection. Yes, that's true. Just from a different perspective. And have you ever noticed that two people can experience the exact same event in a completely different way? Isn't that interesting? I mean, if you don't believe me, just find somebody after church today and find find five people and gather five people together after church and ask them all the same question. What did you think about it? And one of them will still be so moved They'll still be crying. They'll have makeup running down their face because God spoke to them so powerfully and it was overwhelming to them, a sense of God's love. And they won't even be able to answer you without getting choked up. And then somebody else, somebody else will be talking about lunch or be talking about the tournament or be talking about what's happening next. Like church didn't even happen. And somebody else will be talking about, well, it was kind of long. And somebody else will be talking about, well, it was kind of loud. And somebody else will be talking about glowing beach balls. And somebody else will be talking about the video. And somebody else will be talking about, who they sat next to. And so it's the same event, but a different experience. And it's all based on your perspective. So we have two resurrection perspectives and they're both important. Uh, Boy, he's uh, already engaging in nonsense in order to drive a Mack truck through this, um, through these texts that doesn't belong there. Uh, pers- perspective determines your experience. It's, it's so important that, in fact, lately in, in my life, I have been praying less and less about events and more and more for perspective. I've been praying less and less about stuff and more and more about perspective because I figured that my perspective affects everything. So when I pray for somebody who's sick in their body, Before I pray for their body, I pray for their mind. The first thing that I pray for each week when I pray with people in our church who are sick or lost someone is that God would give them peace. The peace that passes all understanding. 
to guard their heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Because I figure if their heart and their mind are guarded, then whatever happens in their body, they'll be able to deal with it. Because they have a perspective of peace. In fact, that's what Jesus did when there was a storm one night on the Sea of Galilee. Before he calmed the storm, he calmed their souls. Before he said, be still to the storm, he spoke peace to their perspective. Because if you have peace in your perspective. What? He spoke peace to their perspective. Where are you getting that? You can deal with any amount of pain. You need to be praying this Easter that God would give you a resurrected perspective. See, to me, I don't just want to celebrate an event that happened. I want the event that happened to become the way that I handle my life. I want a resurrected perspective. I want to see my life. You, you want a resurrected perspective. What is that? Seated with God, with Christ, in heavenly places where my enemies are under my feet and all things are possible. And the crowd there at Elevation Church is rewarding him for this nonsense with a lot of applause. Right. The resurrection is a perspective. Yeah, no, actually, it's a historical event. And we need it. I, I need it in my life. I need it in my preaching. You need the perspective called the resurrection in your preaching. It's not a perspective. My preaching is no better than my perspective. How, how can I say it right if I don't see it right? Well, you ain't seeing it right, so you ain't saying it right. I mean, that's clear for sure. The first thing I ask God to bless is my eyes, not my, my mouth. If I don't see it in his word, I can't say it. So I, I need a perspective. I need a perspective as a parent. God knows I need a perspective as a parent. The perspective to realize that one day I'm going to miss all this noise. And I'm going to miss all this chaos. And I'm going to miss all this fighting. Well, maybe not that, but, you know, I'm going to miss all of these, these moments. I don't want to miss them because I didn't have the perspective. And, and the perspective of your children can actually be helpful to you. Be, because, you know, you have experience that they need. You do. That's why it's so frustrating to be your mom. Or to be your dad. Because your mom, your dad, they have incredible experience that you have no interest in. That would help you in your perspective in life. They would, they would be able to help you. And, and I feel like our children give us a perspective. You know, we're trying to give them experience in advance. And they're trying to give us experience in reverse. So I can remember that it used to be fun to go down a water slide. You are aware that on Easter Sunday, Christ rose bodily from the grave. It's kind of a big deal. Um, you know, when you read the text from First Peter, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, the implications, the, you know, the, what the resurrection means for us as Christians. I mean, you read it. Why aren't you preaching it? Not so much anymore, but my kids give me the ability to experience that as if it were still fun because I'm doing it through their perspective. It's a gift. Perspective is a gift. It's a, it's, it's a way of seeing things that may not change the things, but if you change the way you look at things, eventually someone said the things that you look at will begin to change by your perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And everyone knows the resurrection's a perspective. Woo. 
little perspective is different between men and women. I find this out even with, with little kids because uh, my, my son and my daughter, my oldest son, and then my youngest child, who is a girl, they have totally different perspectives. Like uh, yesterday, we took family pictures. And I, I thank God for family pictures. I, I like to look at them more than I like to live through them. Some things in life are like that. They're better looking back. Everybody shot perspective. Yeah. And so I, I, was, uh, I was laughing because Elijah, uh, he hates pictures. He hates taking pictures. He got so mad this year preparing for Easter pictures that he told Holly, he told Holly, he goes, I hate pictures. I hate Easter pictures. I hate Easter. If I'm ever a pastor, I'm not even having Easter. The pictures were so painful for him that he has canceled the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior from the dead, just so he doesn't have to take a picture. Now, Abby, on the other hand, completely different perspective. This is the estrogen perspective. It's a different perspective. I walked by Abby the other day. She was in front of a mirror. We're getting ready to take pictures. She was in front of a mirror with her hand on her hip. You know how y'all do to look 15 pounds lighter. She had her hand on her hip and she was cocked as certain way. I said, what are you doing, baby? She said, I'm practicing my pose for the picture. Now, I got one kid who's practicing her pose for the same picture that's making the other kid suicidal. What made one kid want to kill the Easter bunny, the other one is excited about. Do you not know that some of the things that you've been through in your life would have killed a lesser person, but it was because God gave you a blessed perspective that you were able to make it through. In- uh, yeah, no biblical text says this. Yet he's getting a, quite a bit of applause here. It makes me wonder if it's staged. In fact, I want all of the people who went through something that only God could have brought you through to give him a praise right now. Give him an Easter praise. Yeah, you go right ahead. It's part of the worship experience that you give him an Easter praise. Yeah. Come on, University City. Give him a next level praise. Way to go, Jesus. Way to go. See, the, the resurrection takes me to a new level of praise. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's what Peter said. He, he started off his, his prayer and he said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is significant because Peter was modeling this prayer after a Jewish benediction that he would have learned in the synagogue. And it always starts with praise. May I suggest that your day will be better if it starts with praise. May I suggest that even your challenges will be manageable if you start with praise. Enter his gates. I feel like preaching on Easter with thanksgiving. Yeah, I'm glad you feel like that. When are you going to start? And his courts with praise. Touch your neighbor. Say he always shouts like this. See, to me, Easter is not just a special occasion. It's a way of life. It's Yeah, notice the words to me. Yeah. He still hasn't quite gotten to the exegetical part of the sermon yet. We're hoping that he decides to switch gears and actually work through the biblical text. 
and proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins, raised again for our justification. And since, you know, he's a seeker-driven guy, you know, make a big deal about repentance and the forgiveness of sins because of Christ. It's a perspective that raises me up to a new level of praise. It doesn't mean I don't have to go through anything. It just means I can see it from a perspective of praise. And the people that Peter is writing to are marginalized socially, but he still says you're privileged, you're blessed, 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 blessed. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, even that salutation to me in change, in, 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 in contains an interesting dynamic because in the Old Testament, they would always say praise be to the God of Abraham or the God of Isaac or the God of Jacob. And they would mention one of the patriarchs. Uh, praise be to the God of Gary Sessions, you know, one of the old guys. And they put it in there. But this time, Peter has seen face to face what the prophets could only point to. Now, that point is absolutely true. And it's a good point. So Stephen here is clearly trying to do something exegetical. It's just his narcissism keeps getting in the way of his exegesis. It's, you know, and he, clearly his narcissism horse is better fed and is a lot stronger. We'll see if his exegesis horse is able to catch up. That's why he said the prophets of old were searching for what you're standing in. You have any idea how powerful resurrection is? That an angel somewhere is jealous of you right now and wishes that he or she could trade places. Because angels can't praise God for mercy. They never sinned. It is only Peter who denied Christ standing by the fire who can understand the magnitude of mercy to the point where he says, when I praise God, I don't just praise the God of Abraham. I don't just praise the God of Isaac. I don't just praise the God of Jacob. I don't just praise the God of my fathers. For me, this is a personal praise. That's not exactly what he's saying here. You're kind of adding things to Peter's words. Jesus is personal to me. He is my personal Savior. It's different when it's personal. Yeah, Peter didn't actually say that. It's different when it's personal. I was so worried I wouldn't be a good parent because I don't like kids. Everybody would tell me, don't worry about it. It's different when they're See, you might not be a religious person, but it's different when you have a personal relationship with God. So Peter says, I know who I'm praising. I know who he is. I didn't just hear about him. I saw him. I didn't just see him. I experienced him. And what started when I saw him face to face is now continuing by his spirit. So I give him praise. I give yeah, you're you're putting words in Peter's mouth. Give him the kind of praise that's not for a new car, not the kind of praise that's for a new house, not the kind of praise that's because she called me back, not the kind of praise that's because everybody liked me, not the kind of praise that comes when I get the promotion. This is the kind of praise that can only come when you've been through the fire and you realize that God is still faithful even in the fire. It's an Easter praise. It's, it's a praise on the other side of pain. It's not a circumstantial praise. It's a resurrection praise. 
It's a song to sing on Saturday while you wait for the sun to come up on Sunday morning. It's that kind of praise. And Peter is so excited, you know, he just, he can't, he can't help it. So he starts, he starts praising God. He said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he starts talking about, it. now verses 3 through 12, which I read you, and you were getting tired because your feet were hurting while you were standing up while I was reading. Peter said all of that in one sentence. We don't see it in one sentence because the English translators did us the convenience of correcting Peter's grammar. The only problem with correcting his grammar is that it's somewhat misleading in his theology. See, when he says verses 3 through 12, and he starts with praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he goes all all the way to verse 12 before he puts in a single punctuation mark that ends a sentence. So if you could see it, you could see Peter almost <gasps> breathlessly declaring the <gasps> blessings of God in, in <sighs> one breath. He's just he's just putting it out there, all that God has done for you and all that God has done for me. In, in one breath, he's praising God for not only the inheritance that you have, but for the resurrection that gets you there and for the mercy that started it all. In one breath, everybody say, breathe breathe. Peter won't breathe. He can't breathe. He's just got to get it all out. In one breath, he declares the mystery of the gospel and the hope of the resurrection. In one breath, as Jesus hung on the cross, when he breathed his last, he forgave and absolved the sins of all who would call upon his name. In one breath, the Bible says, when he breathed his last, it was finished. In one breath, when he gathered the disciples together after he had risen from the dead and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathed on them. And in that one breath, every sin you commit, every shame that you've carried, and everything you've been through in your life is renewed and restored and resurrected by the presence of God. You know, one psalmist said, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I wonder, does anybody have breath to praise him with today? If you've got breath, why don't you thank him for breath in your body, for life in your lungs, and for a second chance? Is a second chance? Yeah, no, we need more than that. Is anybody grateful he lets you see another day? Boy, he's really good at whipping them up into an emotional frenzy. While, while creating the pretense, the, uh, the appearance as if he's actually doing exegesis. I mean, it's obvious he spent some time looking at a commentary and knew something about the Greek there in First Peter chapter 1, but he's still not doing an exegesis. He's, I don't know, whip him up into a frenzy Jesus here. It's exciting to me. It's exciting to me. This is not the praise that comes before the fire. This is the praise that comes after you've been through it. And not only do you have a new level of praise, but you have a new proof of power. Can I preach about this? Because what I hear Peter describing is he uses a metaphor and he says that what fire is to gold, trials are to your faith. They are not pleasant, but they are powerful. He said, uh, you need a resilient faith. The resurrection gives you a resilient faith. They all left Jesus at the cross, all except John. They all left him. Something different happened after he rose from the dead. They all died for him. Their faith became resilient on the other side of the fire. I read an article in the New Yorker about 
resilience. The article argued that resilience is not a trait that you have to be born with. It is a skill that you can develop. To prove it, they had a behavioral psychologist analyze some different kids that were from backgrounds that should have broken them. From situations that should have limited their capacity. But instead, these kids not only survived and made it through, but they actually became a source of pride in their communities. And succeeded on even a higher level than many of the kids that they studied who didn't go any, through anything. And that's, that's one thing you need to know. That your faith cannot be proven if you never go through any fires. Uh, these kids went on to become things that they never should have been and do things that they never should have done. Even though they had experienced severely traumatic events. Traumatic events come in many different shapes and sizes. There is what psychologists call acute stressor. An acute stressor is something that happens real quick and it's over, but it stays with you for the rest of your life. That you can see something so horrific, even early before your cognitive abilities are fully functional. We call it scarred for life, traumatized. Sometimes you don't even remember what you saw or what you went through that made you that way. And sometimes you don't even discover the effect that it had on you until much later. Some of the kids had witnessed that kind of violence or that kind of abuse. Other kids in the study had experienced a, a more chronic trauma. Just because you never saw anybody got shot doesn't mean you're not traumatized. See, John is dealing with the acute trauma of the cross. That is in a moment. You are psychoanalyzing the apostle John and saying he's dealing with an acute Trauma? Really? All of their hopes, all of their dreams, all, all of their ideas about who the Messiah was were seemingly destroyed on the cross. And Uh-oh. I, oh, man, I hope he's not going to do this. Um, yeah, I, I detect a uh, allegorizing coming up, all of their hopes, all of their dreams yeah uh-oh did they have to roll away the stone that was blocking their destiny i i will find out it was traumatizing for for all of the disciples it it was traumatizing that's why peter went back fishing for a little while afterwards it traumatized him to to go through that even his own denial of christ was traumatic uh judas was traumatized by the cross Peter was traumatized by the cross. Judas was traumatized by the cross. Same cross, different result. Traumatized by the cross. Yeah, it's weird. The, uh, the other apostles didn't talk about the trauma, psychological traumatizing they experienced because of the cross. Huh. See, Peter is dealing with the results of the resurrection. And the cross caused Judas to hang himself because he, he dealt with the event, allowing it to become his experience. What? But the same cross 
enabled Peter to preach on the day of Pentecost. Because the study said in the New Yorker that it is, it is not the event that defines your potential. It's not what you've been through that determines where your life can end up. Why are we talking about our potential? What does this have to do with the death and resurrection of Christ? It's not what they did to you. It's not what they didn't do for you. As a matter of fact, let me get this out of the way. It's not even what you did or didn't do up until this point that defines, limits, or enables your ability to go forward. Uh, Why are we talking about my ability to go forward? The same event that killed Judas became an opportunity for Peter to experience mercy. Uh, What? Judas committed suicide. So that by the time he's preaching to the church in Turkey, he says, let me tell you about mercy. You are aware that Judas basically said that he had betrayed innocent blood. Right, yeah. Uh. Let me tell you about resurrection. Let me tell you about triumphs. See, I found out that the empty tomb means that trauma is subject to triumph. What? Where'd you learn that from? There ain't a biblical passage that says it. So where'd you learn it? That trauma, whatever you've been through in your life, is subject to to triumph. Oh, wow. There we go. So we've now uh, engaged in some weird allegorizing of the events of the resurrection. Yeah, trauma must give way to triumph. Yeah, it's, it's part of the whole circle of life thing. We call it Good Friday. It wasn't very good from that side of it. We can only call it Good Friday because we see it from Sunday. My God, I came to pray for your perspective and preach to your perspective. You're, yeah, you're preaching to their perspectives. Yeah. You might want to try preaching to the people there instead of the their perspectives. That, that, that would be a good thing to do. Why are you looking at the cross from Thursday or Saturday when it's Sunday morning and he got up with all power in his hand and said, I got the keys of death, hell, and the nothing that can hold you it's Easter woo yeah woo it's Easter it's time for nonsense to come out it's Easter Easter is my new perspective resurrection oh this is so bad this is just about as gobbledygookish as uh, a, a prophecy open mic segment over at Gloria Zion. Action is my new frame of mind, and all things are possible to him who believes. I got proof. I got proof. I got proof of his. What is with all this heavy breathing? Power. That's why he was three days late to Lazarus' house. Because if Jesus would have come to Lazarus' house and healed him, they would have only known him as a healer. But they already knew him as a healer. He needed to show up in such a way, in a dramatic fashion, that he could say, I am the resurrection. What's he doing? It's a new proof of power. He wants you to know, not only can he make the sick well, but he can make the dead live i need somebody to shout 
Yeah, wow, yeah. Quite the experience they're having there while experiencing just nonsensical preaching, if you can call it preaching. I don't know what this is. Bad things come alive in the presence of God. So I got a new level of praise. How about you? I got a new proof of power. My my faith is resilient. Everybody say resilient. Yeah, say say go ahead and say that. Say resilient. Yeah, I don't know why you would want to say it, but say it. Go ahead, say resilient. I'm resilient. They don't have to study me in the New Yorker. The fact that I'm standing here today in church is proof of the grace and mercy and power of God in my life. Yeah, proof of something. I don't know what. I was so excited about resilience that I looked it up in Latin. No. Wow, that that's quite, quite the sacrifice. <laughs> and you know what resilient means in Latin? You can't handle this. No, please, blow my mind here. Not that any biblical passage is actually written in Latin. Yeah, not even one. I'm going to save it for the next one because you guys are you're tired. You're tired. You've been shouting. You've been here a long time. You don't want to hear it. Oh, boy. Wow. He has them feeding out of his hand. <laughs> it, mean, it means to jump again. It means that all I've been through and I still got to bounce back in my spirit. It means don't count me out yet. Because I'm a Trump again. Yeah, notice who he's preaching about. Himself. I got a resilient faith. I got a real faith. I got a, I got a, I got a. Me, 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 me. Yeah, narcissism right here. I got a proven faith. It's genuine like gold. The fire didn't destroy me. It only revealed the resilience. Anybody bouncing back this Easter? No, I, I, I think I'm just going to not bounce back, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've bounced back enough times in my life. I don't need to do it again. I'm just going to I'm just gonna stay where I am. In fact, not even made of rubber anymore, so when I hit the ground, I don't even bounce. I just go thud. Yeah, all to the glory of Jesus, you know. So, so... I got a new level of praise. I, I have a new proof of power. And watch this. I got it all because I got a new point of view. I got a new point of view. It means that it, it, it might still be dark in my life, but I'm starting to see some light. I have a new point of view because of the resurrection. Should we go to the tomb real quick? Should we go to the Yeah, you go right ahead. Just travel on over there. Yeah. The tomb? Should we go to the tomb? I want to go to the tomb. We go to the tomb with me. Where you go? 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 Come on, I need you to go. I need you to go. I need you to go. We're going to the tomb. You want to go to the tomb? Okay, come on, come on, come on. You can be. You're acting like my kid brother. I'm about ready to slap you. You can be. Come on, come on, come on. You can be. Uh, you can be Peter, and I'll be John. Oh, uh, we're playing make believe now. Hmm. Good thing to do. Yeah. You be Peter. Okay. I'll be John. Right. Peter and John went to the tomb together. The ladies went first. When they got there, they saw the body of Jesus wasn't there. And so they came back to the men with a report that they've stolen the body of Jesus. That was their perspective. By the way, your first impression is not always the correct perspective. 
Tell somebody, say, look again. Tell them, look again. Yeah, see, yeah, your first look. impression is not really the right perspective, right? Yeah. So look again. Yeah, that's what that's telling us to do. Look again. Look again. My light might look busted right now, but look again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you, your life might be in total shambles. Look again. Maybe it won't look like shambles this time. It'll look really sparkly. God is doing something in me. God is working in me. God's not finished with me. God's hand is still on me. Look, look again. So, so John and Peter said, we can't take anybody else's word for it. We got to see for ourselves. You know what the problem with some of us is? We haven't had a personal encounter with God yet. Right. See, yeah, that's what that's all about. The reason why they didn't listen to the women is because they needed a personal encounter. Right. Yeah. We've only had faith handed down to us. But a faith that is handed down that you haven't owned yet is not authentic. Peter said this is the kind of faith that you can't point to. You got to run to it. You got <laughs> Oh man. <laughs> uh, that's a new one by me. I I've heard a lot of Easter twists. That's a new one. Um yeah, so yeah, you got to have authentic faith. This is a faith you you can't you can't listen to. You got to run to it, right? Yeah got to run to it. So Peter and John got up on Sunday morning and the Bible says that they set out for the tomb. Watch this in John. Well, you're Peter and I'm John and Peter and the other disciple. Now this is in John's gospel. John is kind of cocky because he refers to himself in the third person. Now by the time John is recording this, he's around 90 years old. So he's got that grandpa vibe where he's looking back. Somebody say Papa John. Papa John, the pizza guy? He's looking back, and he's looking back on what happened that day. He's reviewing the event. He's reviewing the event. He's looking at the event, the event that changed history. He's going back to the tomb, but this is no ordinary tomb. No, no, it's not. It's a special tomb. See, normally a tomb stinks. Yeah, that's what happens to them. Normally a tomb is dark. Yeah, and there's spiders and creepy crawly things. But this is no ordinary tomb. No, it's a tomb with a view. This is a tomb with a view. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It makes me want to... Meeting you with a tomb to a view. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. You want to see it? You sure, yeah. You want to see it? Yeah, please. Go ahead. You want to see it? Here it is. Yeah, I already said yes three times now. They, they said, we got to see this for ourselves. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Now, you're not going to like this part. Both were running, but the other disciple, that's me, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Yeah, yeah you got to be first there, Stephen. That's kind of your thing. He got there first. John said, I got there first. Just, just want you to know, I got there first. And when I got there... I bent over and I looked yeah. at the strips of linen. That's what they wrapped him up in. Yeah, that's right. That's what the text says. If they would have consulted their scriptures, they could have saved a little money on the ace bandages because he wasn't going to be there long enough for his body to decay. So they could have saved the strips if they had known the story. My God. Yeah, uh, what a waste. And he, and he bent over. He said, I bent over and I looked in, I looked in, I looked in at the strips of linen that were lying there, but I didn't go in. I wonder, does that describe where some of you are in your faith today? Uh, what? <laughs> 
Yeah, I um funny enough, I haven't even been to Israel. Yeah. Um so I haven't had the opportunity, you know, to look either in the, you know, the the Church of the Holy Sepulchre or the Garden Tomb. You know, there's, there's questions as to which is the actual site. And uh, have been able so yeah, no, I why are you talking this way? What are you talking about? He looked in, but he didn't go in. Right. He was looking, trying to make sense of what had happened. Yeah, I'm trying to make sense of this so-called sermon. He was trying to make sense of the event from the outside looking in. But you know, some things don't make sense from the outside. No. Yeah. You know, sometimes, you know, because, you know, they, it didn't make sense on the outside of the tomb. That, that means that certain things just from the outside in your life may not make sense. Mm-hmm. That's how that works, apparently. Looking in. You can live your whole life trying to look for meaning. You can live your whole life trying to look for purpose. You can live your whole life trying to understand God. I wonder if I should, should really believe. I wonder if this is really true. John was an inquisitive type. He was an investigator of sorts. He was not the first one to speak. He was faster than Peter, but he wasn't quite as bold as Peter. Perhaps he was afraid to be near a dead body because that was prohibited for a Jewish man to touch a, a, a dead body or to be in the vicinity of a dead body. He would have been ceremonially unclean. So he didn't go in. He just... Uh, Put it, just we're gonna lay it right there. Can't get it dirty because I gotta wear it next to him. That's the linen. He he saw it. The Bible says he saw it. He saw it. Now, the Greek word used here to mean see means see. And that's all it means. Yeah, Bleppo has a tendency of meaning that, yep. It, it's what your eyes do, it's your physical sense of sight. He saw it. Normally, he wouldn't have been able to look in the tomb because it would have been sealed. But the resurrection reveals what was concealed. Right. Yeah, wow. That's that's just awesome there, yeah. So the resurrection reveals what's been concealed. Whoa, talk about an amazing application there. None of this is exegetically even defensible. This is just nonsense. Peter said the prophets wanted to get in on what you're in on. But the resurrection broke the seal. This is a a tomb with a... Yeah, but the resurrection broke the seal. What are you talking about? With a a view. So so he looked in. He looked in. He looked in and he saw it. and, And he saw it. And he saw it. But I love Peter. Now, here's your your moment to shine. It says in the next verse, then Simon Peter came along. See, different perspectives, different perspectives. Peter came along. Peter has an impulsive perspective. Peter has a, I don't stand on the outside and look at anything. I'm going to find out for myself perspective. Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. No, he didn't touch it yet. He went in. Tell somebody say he went in. 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 That's what you got to do to really understand worship. You got yeah. In order to understand worship, you got to go in to the tomb, right? Yeah. 
Haven't even been to Israel, but okay. You gotta go in. You gotta go in. Some of you aren't gonna get anything today if you don't go in. You gotta 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 go in. Yeah, quick, would you go in already? Peter, Peter went straight into the tomb and he saw. Now, this word saw is a little different than the word that it uses when it says that John saw. This word saw in Koine Greek means that he scrutinized. He scrutinized. Mm. He checked it out. Yeah. Get a closer look at this. Yeah. So what's it mean? What's the application for me? He scrutinized. Yeah, I'm scrutinizing the sermon. Coming up way short. It looks like linen. It looks like what they wrapped him in. How many know that sometimes God will leave some evidence in a place to remind you that he's been there with you all along? What? What? Wow, we're we're really stretching now here, yeah. <laughs> oh man, I like this next part because it says that John next what John did, John John after standing out there, in fact the Bible says that in verse 7 notice verse 8 finally that makes me think he stood there a little too long. And when he's looking back on it later, he's saying, I stood there for a while and I tried to figure it out from the outside and I tried to make sense of it from the outside. The article in the New Yorker said that the kids who made it, the kids who rose above, the kids who were resilient, that grew up to to do something, what made the difference was not the event that they went through. It was how they experienced the event. Uh, Right. Yeah. So how are you experiencing, you know, resurrection today so that you can be resilient? Wow. This is total nonsense. The ones who made it were the ones who found a meaning in the trauma when they made something out of it. When they said, I didn't go through fire for nothing. You know, when my dad was dying of ALS, he kept saying to me over and over again, please make sure that you tell the story of how God worked in my life. Please make sure that somehow God gets some glory out of all I've been through. Because he had been through so much pain, he needed to know that there was a purpose. He needed to know this is not for nothing. And God said I would be preaching to somebody today who needs to know it's not for nothing. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith might result in praise and honor and glory when Jesus is revealed. Reveal. Reveal your glory, God. And so John went in, watch the verse. I don't even know what they're clapping about. I mean, this is weird. First, it says the one who reached the tomb first, just reminding you that I beat you there. The one who reached the tomb first also went inside. That's what I see happening in someone's heart today is you're coming inside. Right. Yeah. Somebody's coming inside. Yeah. They went into the tomb. You know, they went inside. So somebody's got to come inside today. Right. 
doesn't make any sense, but okay. That's why the stone is rolled away. Right, so that people can come inside. To issue an invitation that no matter how long you've doubted or what you've done, heaven is open. Hope is open. The glory of God is in this place. Yeah, sounds so pious, so profound, and none of this makes any exegetical sense at all. And he, and he came, he came inside, and the same strips of linen that were lying there all along were still there. Yeah, no one had moved them yet. But now he could see it from a new point of view. Right, yeah, because that's what... You know, the resurrection is. It's a perspective. See, I see my life from the view of the empty tomb. To me, when I see the empty tomb, I don't see emptiness. I see a future that's full of hope and full of possibility and full of endless potential and full of forgiveness. And John said, I could see it when I stepped inside it says that john saw it and he believed he saw it the first time he saw it he saw it with his eyes the second time he saw it he didn't scrutinize it this word means in greek that he perceived the significance and then it says that peter and john After seeing from the tomb, understood what had happened on the cross. And they went back home. They went back home. Their situation, thank you, didn't change. But the way they saw it changed. And when we say that God is going to give you a new... Now, notice the sappy music. This is designed... It's an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the... False impression that God, the Holy Spirit, is now getting ready to descend on the audience as they decide to do something. I'm not sure what the decision is here, but I'm I'm thinking it might be decide to adopt a resurrection perspective in your life so that you can finally enter in. Yeah, because, you know, the linen claws haven't been moved yet, and you need to have the right perspective. That's what the resurrection is really all about, you know. I mean, I'm saying it with such somber solemnity that it sounds so profound, but I'm, what I'm saying has absolutely no meaning whatsoever. The biblical text doesn't teach any of this nonsense. But when you say it like that, people go, oh, wow, you're so touched by the Spirit, you know. Life is true, but, but really what he does, yeah. he gives you a new lens for your life. Yeah, Jesus is handing out new life lenses. That's what he's been doing for 2,000 years now. Have you got your new life lens yet? So that you can see your life in view of the empty tomb. The Spirit of the Lord is in this place. I want you to... Yeah, I, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure he's not there because I don't hear anybody being convicted of their sin and unbelief and being pointed to Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. To stand to your feet. I want to pray for people. I want to pray for people. Yeah. I see it now. I see it now because I came inside. Right. You you were there, Stephen. You went in. You you finally once and for all came inside. Yeah, consider my mind blown. 
Some of you are standing on the outside looking in, wondering if God really has a plan for you. Right. All you have to do is stop stop being on the outside. Finally, once and for all, step into the tomb because the open tomb is an invitation for you to find out if you have a plan and a destiny for your life. Some of you are trying to make sense of from a distance what you're only going to understand up close and personal. Yeah. God wants to make himself personal to you today. Yeah, because right now he, he may be impersonal to you, so he wants to make himself personal. Don't know what that means, but yeah, wow, it's so amazing. He wants to make himself real to you, that the proven genuineness of your faith may result. Some of you walked away from God because of the fire you gave up your faith. Yeah, the fires have a way of making people do that, you know. God's calling you back in today. That's right. Now that the fire's out, it's time for you to come back. To step into possibility, to step into grace. Step into possibility. Don't know what that is, but okay. Three times Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12, that God has revealed Jesus to us. Yep. That's God's part. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so what's our part? But you've got to receive. Oh, that—that's our part. Uh huh. What he reveals. What exactly has he revealed again? Because you haven't rightly handled any of these texts. As long as the resurrection is just an event to you, you've missed the whole point. Right. Yeah. It—it it, it needs to not be just an event. It's got to be so much more than an event. What does that mean? What, what does it need to be more? How do I make it more than an event? Right. Peter said, when you, when you really get resurrected on the inside, it produces a living hope. Uh-huh. That's not what Peter said. Access to great mercy and a new heart. And it would be my privilege today to lead you in to a relationship with God. Really? You're going to do that? Really? You haven't preached repentance and the forgiveness of sins. How are you going to do that? Maybe you... We're strong with him at one time, and you're not anymore. Yeah, and, you know, praying along with Stephen Furtick isn't going to make you any stronger when it comes to Jesus. Maybe you've never really had a connection with God by faith like we talked about. You know, you can be religious and still be standing outside looking in at what God wants to happen in your heart. Is he in your heart? Is he in your life? Well, let me look. Hard to tell. It's kind of dark in there. Are you living life from a perspective of resurrection? I'd like you to... Yeah, are you, are you living life from a perspective of resurrection? That's the sure sign that you've got Jesus in your heart, as if you're doing that. I don't know what it means, but that's the sign. Bow your head and close your eyes at all of our locations. And this prayer is simple. And if you're ready today to step in and become a part of what Jesus Christ died to establish in the earth, and give your heart to God totally and completely, have your sins forgiven, and follow Jesus the rest of the days of your life, then I want to lead you in a prayer. Our whole church is going to pray this out loud together for the benefit of those who are coming to God or coming back to God. If this expresses the desire of your heart, the Bible says that it is by grace, through faith, you are saved. The Bible does say that about salvation, yes. But you're not actually hooking anybody up to that. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Yeah, you got to get on this quick. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're ready to, to come in today, 
to come into the family of God, to come into right relationship with him, to come into his grace, I want you to repeat this prayer after me out loud. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. No, yeah, wow. Was he proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins? Not even close. Um, yet he has the audacity, that's one of his favorite words, by the way, to somehow make it appear that somehow he, this this magical prayer that he's going to lead people in is going to hook them up with a personal relationship with Jesus so they can have a resurrection perspective. Yeah, lots of manipulation there, but no real regeneration. Wow, what a mess. So there you have it. The eighth and final, final, um, contestant in this year's worst Easter sermon of the year contest. Sometime tonight or early tomorrow, there will be the ability for you to vote for the worst Easter sermon of the year winner. Yeah, one vote per person, please. And uh, you can go to fightingforthefaith.com and you will see the uh, device that we've set up so that you can vote for the one person you believe should be bestowed with the honor of having preached the worst Easter sermon of 2016. So there you go. What'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Fire Christian. Till next week. May God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ's vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.